This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell from the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Leanne Moriarty. Welcome to Better Reading. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. I feel as though you need no introduction. Is there anybody on the planet that doesn't know you? (laughs) (laughs) There are plenty of people on the planet that don't know me. I can tell you that's a fact because each time my editor would um, take me out for lunch to celebrate a new book, uh, it was so funny because she'd say to the the waiter or waitress, the wait person, Uh, And this is Leanne Moriarty. We're here to um, celebrate the launch of her book. And they would always (laughs) just look blankly. And then she'd say, hopefully, maybe you've seen the series, Big Little Love, and still look blankly. (laughs) And they'd feel feel terrible. Well, they must live in a bubble. (laughs) Um, Leanne is the internationally best-selling author of nine books, including Big Little Lies, The Husband's Secret, Nine Perfect Strangers, and Truly Madly guilty. Her books have sold over 20 million copies and have been translated into 40 languages. Big Little Lies and Nine Perfect Strangers were both adapted into award-winning TV shows, of which I've seen both, (laughs) uh, with Big Little Lies winning multiple Emmy Awards. So what can I say? Apples Never Fall is the latest book, but that's been out for a bit now, hasn't it? Just before it Christmas. Has, yes, it came out when Sydney was in lockdown. So yeah. a strange time to, to launch a book. Yeah, yeah, very strange. So I was just talking, Leanne and I, about having met a number of years ago when Facebook Live was just launched and you came into our office and you were standing against a bookshelf with your book and we were trying to do a live. You got the giggles and I got the giggles and the camera was shaking the whole time. And who knew what was going to happen after that? Who knew? A lovely memory. Okay, so now I want to talk to you about how it, I mean, I've spoken to you sisters over the years. Yes. Um, it's the writing family. Talk to me about like your career in particular and just very, very early on and how you came to writing. So when I was a little girl, uh, both my sister and I, so that's my sister who's the author, Jacqueline Moriarty, uh, we loved to write stories and our father used to commission us to write um, books for him. So he'd um, pay a a dollar for an exercise book filled with words. Uh, but I didn't know that. Oh, didn't you? Oh, no, I, I didn't. Like I've told that story so many times. Tell me more. <laughs> Tell me more. I like it. <laughs> well, yeah, he just uh, encouraged us to do what we loved. So it wasn't so much that he was into writing as such. It was just that for him, whatever his children wanted to do, he thought the best thing in the world was if he could be paid to do what you love. That's what you should aim to find. Because somebody asked recently, 
did he give you feedback on those stories that we'd write for him? And I said, I don't know that he actually read them. I don't think he was that interested in them. It was just, okay, I'm going to commission a book for you. And there was something wonderful about it because he was treating um, our work seriously. So we took ourselves seriously too. Um, But then as the years went by, I lost that crazy self-confidence that I had as a child about my writing when I would just sit down and write for the the pleasure of writing. But I knew, knew that I would always have a job that involved some form of writing. So at first I was thinking about journalism, but I ended up going into advertising, uh, so copywriting, writing TV commercials and all that sort of thing. Uh but my sister Jackie, she also she went into law, but she didn't give up the way I did. So she wrote her first novel, which was called Feeling Sorry for Celia. And I can clearly remember the day that I got the call from her to say that her book had been accepted for publication because I was very happy for her because I love her dearly, but I was also very, very jealous Um, and filled really with a kind of a a rage, really. And the rage was completely directed at myself because I couldn't say that I'd been trying for all these years. And I I had done the occasional uh, first chapter, but I really hadn't, I hadn't persevered with anything. So I hadn't even given it a shot. So I needed her example to show me that it could that it could be done. And she's very kind. She always says she thinks I would have still written something eventually, but I honestly don't think I, I would have. I think I needed to see her do it first and to see that real people get published. Mm. So it was all thanks to Sibling Rivalry that I then uh, wrote my first novel, which was Three Wishes. Let's talk about siblings. So how many of you in the family and how many are writers? So there are six of us and three, three of us are authors, so that my youngest sister, Nicola, who is 15 years younger than me, um, she also became became an author. Mm. I, I have podcasted with both Nicola and Jacqueline. And what did the other three think of all of this? <laughs> <laughs> well, they, they enjoy it and, and are also mildly irritated when they're asked, um, are you one of the authors? And they have to say, no, I'm not one of the authors. <laughs> there are others. <laughs> yeah. Was your dad around to see your first published book? Oh, yes, yes, definitely. Um, so he was there to see all our books for for many years. So uh, we lost him only um, two years ago now. So it is, oh, right. it's, it's hard to, um, part of the joy in getting a, a publishing deal was always to tell Dad about it because he took such joy in our success, in all of his children's successes. Yeah. Were you giving him royalties on the book, <laughs> part royalties, <laughs> yeah, a sure centre book? That's, that's what, yeah, he, he would have agreed that would be a good idea. <laughs> yeah, he would have. Okay, so tell me about the first book in particular and how you approached writing it. Uh, Three Wishes was about uh, three sisters and I wrote that as part of a master's degree. So you had to write uh, 30,000 words to to, to finish the course and I wrote 100,000 words. Um, And I think that I just really loved having that structure and knowing that there would be people waiting to see how much he'd written the next the next week and giving feedback. So that really was an incentive 
for me. Uh, and also as a formerly good student wanting to impress the teacher. Uh, so I, for me, it wasn't so much, um, of course, there was teaching of the technical side of it. But for me, I think perhaps I could have got that from a, a writing group, just having people around mm. you to encourage you to keep going and not to give up, um, as I've done so many times before. Mm. And with this particular novel, with Three Wishes, did you think that I've got something, that this was the first time that you had something that was solid enough to pitch? Is that how you felt about it? No, I never thought about pitching. No, I just thought, oh, I'm finally, I'm finishing right. something. That was my main feeling. And I also clearly remember feeling such a sense of relief that I was actually writing uh, and such a feeling of joy that I was writing again after all these years of, of not writing. Um, that was the main, the main feeling. And also getting that encouragement from the other people in the class. I can remember coming yeah. home each uh, week and my um, cheeks would be read from, I could put my hand to my cheek and feel the, the heat from the, the praise they'd given me. Uh, so it was a wonderful time, but it, you know, it definitely wasn't um, a feeling of, oh, I'll be able to pitch this. It was, I think I might actually finish this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so how did you get it published? I, uh, and of course I desperately wanted to get it published. I don't want to give the impression that um, that wasn't my aim. I sent it off to Curtis Brown, uh, so Fiona Inglis um, became my agent and she said she would um, represent me and then uh, Pam McMillan accepted it. And how did you feel then? Yeah, I'm, it's uh, hard to put into words. My, my most significant memory of it is um, actually just before it was accepted for publication, hearing that uh, Curtis Brown would represent me, I can remember playing the message, a lovely message that she'd left on my answering machine to a, a girlfriend and she was listening to the message and she sort of grabbed my arm um, because she was so happy for me when she heard the message. So that's that's a special, a special memory of that time. I mean, getting an agent is one thing and then getting a publisher is another, isn't it? Mm, yes, that's right. So that that was the, the first the first step and, and then hearing that it was accepted for publication. I can't I can't remember that as well as I can remember that. Yeah, I don't have a good memory. My sisters have better memories than me. They don't often remember things. So yeah, looking back, it was really just playing that call to, mm. to my friend. Mm, mm, I like it. Now, then a few books later came Big Little Lies, and I want to talk about that. But is it kind of for you a before and after that that's the marker in terms of your writing? Because often when people have a book that goes off and, you know, like let's say a first book, a debut fiction goes off, and then that author has to sit down and write the next. And the circumstances have changed entirely. It's a different playing field altogether, a different writing field, if you like. Did that moment come for you with Big Little Lies? What number book was it? Um, Big Little Lies was my sixth book, but I think that um, for me the book that was my breakout book was The Husband's Secret mm. um, because which was my fifth book and that 
if I'm thinking of a before and after, for me, the moment was hearing that The Husband's Secret had um, reached the top of the New York Times bestseller list. And I can, that's another moment that is very clear in my mm. memory of that phone call, being in a car park with my my little girl and uh, and I, we were going off to a cafe and I was had been going to have muesli for breakfast and I celebrated by having waffles with maple syrup. So for me, I can, that's the sweet taste of success. <laughs> that's can, a marker. Yes, a seen when, one. when I think of that, <laughs> when I hear the new words, New York Times bestseller, I can taste um, maple syrup. Uh, <laughs> Which is kind of apt in a way, isn't it? That's right. <laughs> um, so, so for me, um, that was the moment, but I was lucky in that regard in that I was well into big little lies. So I didn't feel then the pressure to yes. um, maintain that, you know, that sort of terrible second novel feeling that debut authors who have a huge success. Um, so I was well into big little lies and then big little lies did well as also um, reached the top of the New York Times bestseller list. And so I guess maybe I felt a little bit more of the, of the weight of expectations with the next one after that. Um, but by then I had written six novels and I was pretty old. So I wasn't, I don't know how, uh, you know, really young authors who have a huge success in their twenties with their first novel. Yeah. Um, I think it must be very hard. Not that uh, I would have loved it if it had happened to me. Um, my, my question, I guess, is around like, do you feel the writing pressure that you've got to deliver as good as the last one? And, you know, I think that's because when you write your first or when you're writing and you're pretty much writing to be published, but there's not an expectation out there um, at the moment. Is it a different kind of writing or for you, is it the same? Um. Well, the aim is to make sure it's the same sort of writing. Mm. So I might in the beginning when I'm flailing about in the early days trying to write the first chapters, I might let all those voices into my head, so voices that are saying, you know, she's only writing it for a TV adaptation or mm. um, this mm. one wasn't as good as the last one or I liked the twists and turns in this one and the, this, um, the next one didn't have as many twists and turns. So I can hear all those the chatter of those voices, but I have to uh, eventually uh, let all that go and then lose myself in the story. And then uh, the aim is to feel exactly that same joy that I felt when I was writing Three Wishes. And and I I do eventually get there each time once, once I'm losing myself in the story. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. 
$45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. At one point, you had multiple books in the new, on the New York Times bestseller list. Was that right? Did I read somewhere it was three or four at one point? I think it was three at the same yeah. time. How did that feel? It felt amazing. I can taste. I can taste a lot of maple syrup now. Just thinking. <laughs> <laughs> it felt wonderful. But at that time, I wasn't as well known uh, in Australia. So it was a strange time because it was like there was a parallel universe yeah. where, um, in one universe, I was a best-selling um, author, and and in the other universe, I was still um, published, and I definitely still had readers, but um, I wasn't having anywhere near that success. And why do you think that is? I don't know. Um, I can understand uh, sometimes sometimes it's easier to suspend disbelief when you're reading um, novels set somewhere else other than your own hometown. Maybe there was a a feeling that um, my books felt too familiar but having said that, people now say all the time that they love the fact that it's set in a, a familiar setting um, mm. and they love the fact that they can feel feel like it's their own hometown. So that contradicts that completely. So uh, the truth is I don't know. Mm. The truth is none of us know. That's, yeah. that's good. Um, I often think about your books and wonder why they resonate so deeply with so many people, you know, because there is a, a bias, if you like, about commercial fiction, right? You would know that in popular fiction. But your books are in a different category entirely. What do we call it? Like domestic? Is that what it's called? Like a domestic style crime fiction? Yes. Is that is that how you'd describe it? Uh, I've seen my books described as, um, is it domestic thrillers? I've lost the word. Yes, yeah. Um, I think I, you might I, be right. Yeah. I would probably, I'd prefer family drama because I don't want to feel that every book has to be thrilling and because I don't think my books are actually thrilling enough to be described as thrillers. I think um, uh, people who really love a, a really fast-paced thriller um, might get a bit impatient with my books and with, uh, you know, going off too much on what they might consider a tangent about characters. Yeah. Yeah, but I prefer not to think too much. That's probably another voice that I need to put out of my head when I'm writing is what category am I writing in because then I think I'm too inclined to think, okay, I have to follow the rules yeah. Of my genre. I must be fast paced. I must be commercial. I yeah. must be this. I must be that. For all it's worth, I've got a view on why. <laughs> I'd love to hear your view. <laughs> Would you love to hear my view? My feeling is we all love seeing ourselves in books. We all love seeing ourselves in story. I mean, that's a great diversity conversation that we're having at the moment that we need to see more people in there. And I think with your books, your stories, we all could be a character in that book. Every single one of us, mainly women, Mm. we've all had experiences. You don't shy away from, it's kind of brutal in in a sense of how you expose relationships, family dramas. It's the way I think we live our lives. Sure, not every story ends in murder. (laughs) Yes. But, you know, that's, that's really just up at the end, if you like. I see myself in almost everything that you've written. 
Well, thank you. And that makes, um, I find that I take so much pleasure in hearing that and um, I find that so much more inspiring than, yeah, I love your plots <laughs> um, mm. because that's what I, I would prefer to hear that's my my strength. I feel. I feel. I almost accidentally fell into the, the fast-paced plots and having the twists and turns because I don't plan my books and I, just happened accidentally, um, with some of them. Um, but I love to hear that it's um, the characters. Um, I don't feel the pressure of that. I just can enjoy that thinking mm. of of what you just said. When I sit down to write, when I go back to my computer after this. Mm-hmm. But it is that for me, certainly character development. And also, too, most of the characters are quite complex or simple in their complexity, if you like. Mm-hmm. You know? yes. So we all see it. And also I think the twist or the thriller bit at the end is, wow, that could happen to any one of us. Well, it's true. That's, I mean, that's the thing every time I read mm. a new story, mm-hmm. you know, that's what, uh, and I'm sure every author does, you're, you're thinking that they're just, they're just an ordinary family. They, mm. um, and it could happen to any one of us. Mm. Terrible and wonderful things can happen to any one of us every day. Mm. Life can turn on a dime, as they mm. say, and that's so true mm. and in so many ways. On a personal level, how has life changed for you? Or do you kind of try and keep it simple or keep it? Talk to me about, you know, life pre Big Little Lies, I guess, and life afterwards, because the book did well in its own right. And then the TV series was magnificent. Mm. Um, how has life changed for you? Well, there were a few glamorous interludes. So, so there was... And you know, good for you, yeah. <laughs> um, so there were the premieres of the of the shows um, and going to the Emmys uh, and things like that. But then apart from those events, um, which were great fun for me really, when I think about this whole experience, I just think it was just such good fun to be a part of that Um and have a glimpse of that world without actually having to do anything. So I was asked, did I want to adapt my own work? And um, I said no, because for me, part of the pleasure in writing is finding out what's happened. And I already know what um, happens in my novels. So it actually makes me cry with boredom at the thought of rewriting my own books. But I, I think I was so lucky because I know every author doesn't get this experience. I've read about authors who felt sidelined, but I was made to feel so part of it. And, yeah, just to go to visit the set of Big Little Lies, it was really just pure fun. Uh, it's also a pleasure that I'm then back to my ordinary life, just and back to my desk and in many ways that feels completely the same and I'm still ignored in um, shops as a middle-aged woman uh, so I can still feel um, what it's like to be invisible so which is important so I can keep writing about that <laughs> so and, and you know, a school uh, mum yeah that. do you know I think that and, and correct me if I'm wrong here I might have some of the facts wrong but I feel such a good feeling towards Big Little Lies because you, an Australian wrote it, an Australian woman wrote it. Mm. I'm just listing all the things that I love about that. And then it was pretty much an all-female production company, wasn't it? 
that I feel that it was the beginning of us starting to hear female storytellers. Yes. So Bruna Papandrea is an Australian producer and she was the one um, who I think found the, uh, heard about the manuscript in the very first place and then Nicole Kidman and um, Reese Witherspoon and then, of course, a whole um, female cast. So it was, yes, wonderful. Um, I feel so honoured to uh, that I was part of something that brought together so much, uh, so many talented women. Yeah. Do you know, I loved it. I read the book years ago and then I, I love the TV show, but I loved it more for what it stood for. I really did. Yes. Yeah. And it's great to be part of that for you. I think that that must be so special. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm really, really proud of it and feel very lucky too. Mm. And so do you think, I mean, you're not going to know this, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Is that going to be our expectation of you now that you write a book and everyone loves it and then it's made into a TV series? <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the fact is that I, I know that people do read my books within that uh, perspective. So there are seeing people saying, oh, she is writing with one eye on the screen, which I am absolutely not. So with mm-hmm. Nine Perfect Strangers, yeah, no. Apple, I had pages and pages where they were, they were at a silent retreat. So there was no dialogue for pages on end. Uh, and there were uh, lots of internal monologues. In fact, all my books have so many internal monologues. So I would never start to think about a potential adaptation as I'm writing. But the truth is that um, Big Little Lies was a success. So that means that my book was is an element in a formula that worked. Um, yeah. So there's um, the possibility of future adaptations, which again, uh, I look at as just a wonderful perk of the job because it is such good fun to see it happen but for me that's never the end goal that's other people's talents and uh, and completely different art form for me the point of it is the book that's Mm. what I'm I'm writing and and that feels really personal to me because that's between me and the reader so it's my imagination and the reader's imagination you know I agree with you there Leanne I I feel as though when I enjoy a film or a tv series of the book it's usually when the author hasn't been involved and hasn't written the uh, screenplay because yeah. it's a different, you're right, it's a different skill entirely, isn't it? Mm. And I think if I if I tried to get too involved, I would want to hold on too tightly and I yes. think it needs to be looked at in a completely different way. And that, yeah. mm. I was worried for a minute there that you're going to move to L.A., <laughs> a lot of people seem to think I live in LA, which is so strange to me that I um, no, I have no desire to to leave my my beloved family and friends, uh, and all my books will continue to be set in Sydney. Yeah, and what are you working on at the moment? I'm in the those early the early horrible days with all the, those voices in my in my head. Yeah looking for ideas. Are you the kind of person that sits down every day and says, I'm going to write 500 words, 1,000 words, no matter what, I'm not getting up until I'm finished, or are you the kind of writer that just sits down when you need to, when you've got it? Uh, a little bit of both. So in the in this beginning stage, there would be no point saying I, I must write 500 or 1,000 words. 
a day because I don't know where I'm at. So there is a lot of, um, it's a strange process. Um, I do do things like you must at least write for 20 minutes to see uh, if, uh, and I've got this hourglass. Oh, there's no point showing you something in a podcast. I don't know. Oh, why. you can. You can tell us about it. You can describe <laughs> it. It's, <laughs> it's a regular hourglass, glass hourglass with black sand. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I, t- I turn it um, upside down and say you must write until the, the last, uh, you know, grain of sand falls. So I do things like that to get me writing. Um, but once a novel has momentum, then I... Uh, have more discipline and so that's when I'm likely to say you must do 500 words or a thousand words um and I, I keep a tally of the words I've written for that day uh and so I'm I'm definitely more disciplined and often that's because of my deadlines approaching too yeah. so I have to be yeah. Absolutely. Well, all I can say is keep writing and thank you so much for your time today. I've enjoyed our conversation very much. Oh me too Cheryl thank you. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere, or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBook Store. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.